If you're always on the go like myself and don't have time to sit down and read, Audible.com is a great source to be able to catch up on the latest bestsellers. Listen to it while on the road or at the gym. Audible.com is a leading provider of premium digital audio information and entertainment on the internet. Audible content includes more than 180,000 audiobooks and spoken word audio products. Audible carries Audible books in every genre imaginable business, classics, history, self development, just to name a few. Audible is offering our listeners a free audiobook of your choice and a free 30 day trial membership. Just go to audible.com slash replay and choose from over 180,000 audio programs. Download a title for free and start listening. It's that easy. Currently, I am listening to the classic One Fish, Two Fish, Red Fish, Blue Fish. One Fish, Two Fish, Red Fish, Blue Fish, Black Fish, Blue Fish, Old Fish, New Fish. Okay, that's、This、genius. Go to audible.com slash replay. That's audible.com slash replay and get started today. I'm very excited to bring up one of the people who definitely fits that bill、uh, FCC Commissioner Jessica Rosenworcel. One of the biggest things、uh, that your agency does is、uh, kind of oversee, obviously, wireless, the industry as a whole, but you know, always exciting is you know, whenever there's more airwaves available, you guys play a big role.、Um, you had one auction this year, there's a big one coming up next year.、Uh, this is airwaves that used to belong to the TV broadcasters. They're auctioning it off. Some of the money goes back to the broadcasters, some to you guys. Biggest, biggest auction in years, right? Yes. Last. You know, really big chance, blah, 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 for a while.、Um, Sprint said they're not going to take part. ATT, Glenn Lurie was here, opened the conference, kind of, you know, you know、uh, playing poker. He was, I think, trying to bid everyone down.、Uh, he says the government, wildly optimistic, $60 billion.、Uh, was that just poker playing? What do you think? Well, thank you for having me here, first of all, <laughs> and for starting with something so, so simple. So easy and light. Yeah, yeah. you're welcome.、Um, So, a little bit of background. The FCC auctions off our airwaves. That's how we provide the fuel for what's happening in mobile today. And we have what is a really interesting auction coming up next year. We are going to go to the broadcasters and, on a voluntary basis, invite them to return their spectrum to us if they're no longer interested in being broadcasters. Then we will take that spectrum, repackage it. And is that judged by their interest or the quality of their primetime lineup? Because <laughs> some of them have shown they're not interested in being broadcasters in other ways. That's an interesting point. I'm not going to comment on that. But、um, we are going to take that spectrum, sell it in an auction. And in order to sweeten the pot and entice those broadcasters to really consider this, we are going to pay them some of the proceeds of that auction. So it's a really elegant way to take spectrum from old uses. And put it towards new mobile uses. Now, the challenge is making this all work because it's really complicated. And no joke, the whole world is watching us to see if this succeeds because it will be a model worldwide for spectrum policy. This year, we held a traditional auction which raised more than $40 billion. And that was kind of a surprise. Not everyone thought it was going to raise that much. It's a lot of clamps by any measure. As, as I joked, it, it was so popular, even small businesses like Dish took part. <laughs> Well, 40, more than $40 billion. So,、uh, 
And that was for spectrum in the two gigahertz range. The spectrum that the broadcasters occupy is at 600 megahertz. And, and that that's is, really good for like indoor and yeah, Absolutely, we call it beachfront because it's spectrum that goes really far. So you don't have to build as many towers. So it's very valuable for coverage purposes. So we think there's gonna be a lot of interest. I don't really wanna put a price tag on that interest. And it's important to remember the revenue that gets raised in part pays off the broadcasters for participating. So my only metric for success is making sure we get more 600 megahertz airwaves into our mobile economy as much as we can. So Glenn's kind of doing a disservice. If the broadcasters think they're not gonna make as much, they might not give as much. So you guys have an incentive to talk it up. So you're saying, no, it's crazy. It's gonna raise a ton of money. Uh, I think we, uh, we have valuable spectrum we're putting on the block. I have confidence it'll work out. One of the things uh, that you guys did was set aside a certain amount of spectrum for smaller players, and you guys had a level to determine who that is. Um, T-Mobile was very vocal. At first, they wanted you to give even more. Now they're thrilled with the amount that you said that they could have to begin with. Um, with Sprint not taking part, is that kind of a bummer? Like, I think we're going to wind up having a lot of interest in the spectrum, possibly from some smaller players as well as some non-traditional players because 600 megahertz spectrum is so valuable. So even with one major carrier sitting it out, I think we're gonna have a lot of interest. Are there, is there the opportunity, do you think we'll see players not just bid on spectrum, because we've seen that in past auctions with DISH, but actually come into the market and add to the competition? I mean, there's a lot of talk about consolidation and should we go from four to three, but what do you see as the opportunities for there to actually be more players nationally and wireless? Uh, I think, uh, it would be a terrific opportunity for someone who wants to get into wireless. And I think we have to start thinking about wireless as more than the mobile phone in your pocket. I mean, around the bend is the internet of things. We are going to have not just person-to-person -person communications, but person-to-machine, machine-to-machine. And the universe of wireless activity is going to explode. So I think there will be more interest than we have traditionally seen. Okay, so this is the government in collaboration with the TV broadcasters that currently hold the spectrum, auctioning off things. The other thing that gets talked about is there's a lot of there's a lot of spectrum that's actually held by different government agencies, and you've said that maybe we should look at what to do with that. What do you think Absolutely. could be done there? You know, um, the bulk of our spectrum activity for mobile today takes place below about four gigahertz, and there's data out there that suggests that 60% of that the federal government has some veto power over because they're using it for defense, for helping our planes stay in the sky, for fighting forest fires, and, and a whole bunch of really good and meritorious things. But we doled out those airwaves to those government authorities at a time when spectrum wasn't quite so scarce and the mobile economy wasn't quite so vibrant. So I think we have to put some pressure on them to figure out how to be more efficient and then reallocate some of those airwaves for commercial use. So one of the ways that you guys got Spectrum to auction off the first place is you said to the broadcasters, you know, if you can be more efficient and return some of that, you can share in the proceeds. Is it as simple as just saying to the government agencies, hey, you give us some of your Spectrum, you can have some of that money for your budget and we're done. I love how simple you just made it. Um, <laughs> I think that fundamental idea though is absolutely correct. But there's a few, few rules of in Of course, place it's everything's always a little more challenging. But I think the reality is that our government authorities don't right now have the need to internalize the cost of their spectrum holdings. And we need to put some pressures on them to do so. 
And if they get the opportunity, as you suggest, to see gain from reallocation and not just loss, we could be in the business of filling a spectrum pipeline that really is going to help mobile grow. And is that something that, that you know, the FCC can do on its own, or is that going to require um, you know, the ever-happy-to-pass-bills Congress to do something? It will require an active Congress, but they've got some agitators. I have been writing about this for some time and testified in front of Congress on this issue just a month or two ago. And I actually am encouraged because there's a lot of bipartisan interest in trying to figure out how to give government users incentives to be more efficient with their airwaves so that some of it can be repurposed for commercial use. And we're talking about spectrum and the need for it. I mean, obviously, that's one piece of what gets us more, better, faster services, mm -hmm. more coverage. Um, the other piece is advancing technology and 5G. And right. we talked a little bit about that with Eric, the CEO, this morning. Um, from your perspective, and one of the things we, you know, I brought up to him is it's always been very hard for the company or region that led in one generation of technology to lead in the next. Ericsson is obviously, as a company, a leader in 4G. I challenged him, how do you make sure no one leapfrogs you? But the U.S. is the yeah, leader in 4G. Right. A lot of other regions would like to see themselves taking that back for 5G, especially Korea and Europe. And I know this is something you wrote for us about yeah, it. Yeah, I did. Um, what do you think the U.S. can do? Is it doing it? Uh, you know, are we just learning how to spell 5G? What's, where are we at? Well, first of all, you're right. The U.S. has less than 5% of the world's population, but we've got a third of the 4G deployment. We, we've led the world in 4G deployment, and that's terrific. And now the race is on for 5G. And though it's not well-defined yet, I think what it's going to look like in the future is we're going to have some really high-band spectrum, stuff that's way, way up there. And we're going to combine it with really small devices called small cells that are like mini cell towers. And if we do that, we are going to be able to have more capacity in our networks over shorter distances than ever before. And I think it's going to be incredibly useful in our urban corridors where demand is the greatest. And like you say, uh, let's see, South Korea and Japan are both working on getting some 5G in place by the time of their Olympics. So the race is on. And I think the United States should get in the game. Uh, are, we out of, are we out of the starting blocks? No, are we just no, we are deciding just... whether we want to join signing up endorsement deals? No, no, no. We, in the uh, next set of few weeks at the Federal Communications Commission, we are going to vote on a rulemaking that actually identifies some of those really high bands and spectrum to figure out how to push forward with ideas for 5G. So we are talking about it. Locally, we're also talking about it internationally at the World Radio Conference. Because from what I understand from the past, like it's also nice if more countries around the world are using the same little bits Absolutely. of spectrum because you can build one device. You can harmonize and you get these economies of scale. So that's why actually next month's World Radio Conference in Geneva is so important. We're going to start talking about how to harmonize worldwide bands for 5G that are really high band. Well, I know everyone would love it if we went on about spectrum policy know, for, for an hour or two, but I am <laughs> going to shift gears a little. Um, we've been talking at the conference about a couple specific areas, and one of those has been cars and the future, and you know, a lot of stuff around the technology hurdles to get to self-driving cars, and a lot of stuff on regulatory, safety, mm -hmm. policy, social things. Is there any role, is there any piece of the you know, car of the future that the FCC is involved in? Well, I think we have to focus on spectrum abundance. The more of our airwaves we can get out there, the more devices 
automobiles included, will be connected and will benefit from that. I read a statistic the other day that said that by 2020, 97% of the cars that are shipped in the United States are going to be internet connected. The change coming to our roadways is absolutely epic. And uh, I think we have to make sure that there are enough airwaves out there to accommodate our cars, which are going to become mobile phones on wheels. But there is some spectrum actually set aside for cars right now, correct? There is some for car safety. And here, I'm going to become a spectrum nerd again. You're trying okay. to take me away. Uh, in the 5.9 gigahertz band, the auto manufacturers have been working for 15 years on trying to make that viable. I have pressed us to actually reconsider that spectrum and see if we could use it for more Wi-Fi uh, in conjunction with auto safety, because I think after 15 years, we should look at different opportunities for that spectrum. And Wi-Fi brings up a good point. I mean, we've talked about licensed spectrum where somebody bids on it, they don't own it, it still belongs to the people, but they have the exclusive right to use it. Wi-Fi is kind of free for all space. It's available for everyone as long as they play by a certain set of rules. Mm -hmm. um, I know you're a big mm -hmm. proponent of unlicensed. It's, you know, when you have federal auctions that raise so much money, it becomes a little tougher right. to say, no, let's just give this away. Right. Um, why is more unlicensed spectrum important? And then I have a follow-up. But... Okay, well, Wi-Fi is probably the greatest spectrum experiment the FCC has held in the last 30 years. I'm sure that everyone in this room at some point today probably used unlicensed spectrum or Wi-Fi. I mean, it democratizes internet access. It's a space for permissionless innovation. And it contributes $140 billion in economic activity to our economy every year. It's really good stuff. We need to make sure we have more space for unlicensed and Wi-Fi in our airwaves. It's not always easy to do because there is a bias towards auctioning off our airwaves for commercial purposes because it raises money. So I have continually proposed that every time we have legislation that requires us to auction off some airwaves for license purposes, there needs to be a Wi-Fi dividend or a cut for unlicensed so we can make sure that there's a portion of it that allows us to grow Wi-Fi and that permissionless innovation. And has there been, we just auctioned off some, we're going to do the incentive auction next yeah. year. Is any of that going towards unlicensed? Uh, yeah, actually Congress in the 600 megahertz band told us we could use guard bands and structure them so that we could have unlicensed activity or Wi-Fi in them. And that would be the first slice of really low band Wi-Fi we've ever had. So I think the idea of a Wi-Fi dividend in every piece of legislation that requires us to hold auctions is a good one, and it's one I hope we can continue to pursue. The other issue between license and unlicensed is you have the folks that have licenses that are delivering cellular service today. Some of them want to route phone uh, data traffic and their things also over that Wi-Fi spectrum. Now, today, they're offloading their data onto Wi-Fi networks. But now what they want to do is send LTE signals, uh, the same kinds of signals. Does it matter whether they're offloading to Wi-Fi or using LTE? Does this yeah. raise any concerns? Well, there's a lot of interest in this right now. I think um, if I could come up with a bumper sticker, it would say, don't mess with Wi-Fi. It's that popular. We need to make sure that it continues to succeed. But carriers are also interested in some air interfaces that would combine some of their licensed spectrum with unlicensed. And they're exploring that right now. We've got some unlicensed and Wi-Fi advocates who are worried about it because they're worried they'll be crowded out of this space for permissionless innovation. What I can tell you is that the FCC is monitoring this. We're looking at what's going on in the standards bodies. And again, I think it's important to make sure that Wi-Fi has a future that's as bright as its past. 
One of the other topics has been wearables, and I'm curious uh, how, if at all, I mean, it obviously creates a need for more devices, so there's the, yeah. that aspect of having to support more devices. Are there specific additional, like, health concerns? Are there, uh, what, what do you want to see for wearables? What do you think the regulatory role, if any, is? I think it's, uh, oddly enough, similar to automobiles in that you want spectrum abundance. You want lots of licensed and unlicensed spectrum out there to power all of those wearables. I think a lot of them will be ununlicensed, but uh, I worry our existing unlicensed bands where a lot of that activity takes place, the 2.4 gigahertz band, is getting crowded, so we need to make sure there's some more so that those wearables can um, get the connections they need to be viable. A lot of the other um, debates that the FCC has had to deal with in the wireless have been about competition and you know how much how many carriers is too many, and you know, I don't know if it's like the old Supreme Court uh, pornography, I don't know how many is the right number, but I know it when I see it. Um, <laughs> any thoughts of how, how one should look at what's the right amount of competition? Well, I think more competition is always good. I mean, consumers benefit from competition. They get lower prices, they get better deals on their handsets, and they get more innovation. What is important to remember, though, is that the competition we know today between the handset providers and the services they're making available in your pocket through the mobile providers, that's a kind of limited view of the future of wireless. I think that handset will continue to be there. But when you think of all of the devices interacting in the Internet of Things, we're going to have a lot of mobile activity that is related to that. And we have to make sure we think about that when we think about competition. And does that play into when you think about like three bigger players or four with too yeah. big and too small? Does that play into that at least? Yeah. Well, you know, more is better. Coverage everywhere is better. We've got some rural areas of this country that have small providers that aren't national but do an important job and that they serve areas that would otherwise not have service. So uh, more competition is always better. Um, I, I don't think uh, payments is a big area, so we'll probably uh, skip that. Are there other things that are kind of front and center for your, you know, you personally that you're like, I think, you know, government has a big role to play here and uh, we could do more? Yeah. Um, well, if I could get a little more spectrum nerdy on you for a second. I, I think we're already trying we to get a spectrum nerd, yeah, but go all right. for it. Um, we historically have done our licensing where we clear a big band of spectrum, we auction it off to a mobile provider, or we leave it open for everyone with unlicensed. I think there are very cool new models that we're starting to develop, like in the 3.5 gigahertz band, where we're thinking instead of about having licensed or unlicensed available, we could combine the two. For instance, in that band, we have some incumbent federal users from the Defense Department we're allowing them to stay. But then we're making short-term licenses available for mobile operators. And to the extent those aren't used, we're going to make that spectrum available for unlicensed. And I think it's a really modern and creative way to start thinking about how to optimize our airwaves and not just get stuck between licensed and unlicensed one pole or the other. And I know another area that's kind of in that same vein that you've been encouraging is the FCC is probably not known for you know, being super experimental and letting people try things out and see yeah. how they go. Are there ways that you think government in general and your agency in specific needs to find test beds and Absolutely. ways to try things out? I mean, I think government generally should take a page from software developers. 
you know, they code sandboxes into their programs to create safe spaces to test. And I think with spectrum policy, with experimental licensing and all across Washington, we should start to embrace the idea of testing digital age policies in a sandbox rather than waiting to perfect our policies and roll them out nationwide and risk nationwide failure. I mean, can we just embrace iterative learning and do some small scale testing? I think that would be great in mobile and a whole bunch of other places where government has responsibility. All right, well, excellent. I'm gonna see if there's some questions from the audience. If not, I'll try and ask a couple non-spectrum related questions. <laughs> that, that handsome hey, young gentleman. Hey there, right. how you doing? Um, I know that some of the carriers have talked a lot about expanding uh, Wi-Fi and, and broadband to rural areas, and I'm curious what you think you know, your role in that would be and how you could help kind of expedite that process. Absolutely, that's important. I mean, we want everywhere in this country to be covered with really high-speed broadband and wireless service. It's always easier to deploy in dense urban corridors. Financing, constructing, and operating is a much more lucrative business. The challenge is how to get that service into our rural communities. And one of the tools we have that I think we have to use a little more is that we have to make sure that the terms of our licenses obligate the winner to build out certain percentages of land coverage or population coverage over time. And if we do that, we can use our license structure to make sure that we enhance rural deployment. Do you, do you feel like the, the carriers are, you know, do they have, I guess, what they need in order to do this on their own? Or is this kind of something that requires assistance from, you know, your organization? Mm -hmm. You know, I think our 600 megahertz auction that's coming up is going to help. Again, that's beachfront spectrum. And you don't have to build a lot of towers with 600 megahertz spectrum. So I think the cost of deploying that spectrum in rural areas and the coverage you get could be a lot lower. And Thank you. And there's this other sort of corollary, which is the FCC has oversight over landlines, the old yeah, phones and everything. And you know, they had to build it out. I mean, right. everyone has a landline. At some point, and, and the carriers, many of them, the landline carriers would like that to be sooner, there's more modern technologies yes. that might replace it. I think it first came up after Hurricane Sandy. Uh, Verizon said, you know, this is kind of an opportunity. What if we rebuilt with IP instead mm -hmm. of traditional telephony? Where are we in that debate and policy and so forth? Yeah, this is a big debate back in Washington. We are in the middle of this giant shift from traditional telephony to new forms, both IP and mobile. And consumers are voting. I mean, more than 40% of our households right now are mobile only. Um, we have half as many landlines as we did about 15 years ago at the turn of the millennium. This is a giant shift in technology, and I think we have to figure out how our policies not only accommodate it, provide incentives for those new IP and mobile services to get out and reach everyone. The universal system we had before of everyone having a copper line is a terrific thing, we're going to have to figure out how to serve those same values of universal service using new technologies. Great. Yeah, um, Barbara Baffer from Ericsson, and thanks for coming, uh, Commissioner. Um, so the World Radio Conference is coming up, and I guess you will have a big delegation. Sorry about the spectrum question. Oh, no, it's um, great. So uh, we'll have a, you know, there'll be a big delegation from the U.S. going. How do you think that's going to fare when we, you know, when it's all said and done for, for mobile spectrum globally? 
We are optimistic about the World Radio Conference, which is a gathering every four years in Geneva where uh, everyone across the world gets together and tries to harmonize their spectrum policy, which sounds simple, but it's complicated. We are working to make sure that there are more uh, mobile allocations below six gigahertz, but we're also trying to put on the agenda how we're gonna come up with big bands for 5G and how we can get more countries to commit to the same bands. I think it's that second piece that's really important because the more commitment we get from other nations to work on common bands for 5G in millimeter wave spectrum, I think the faster we're going to see deployment. Great, thanks. Hi, I'm Lauren Good with The Verge. Um, I'm curious whether or not you have plans to evaluate or reevaluate SAR limits uh, during your tenure at the FCC, considering that my understanding is the last time that testing was done around the safety of wireless devices was a long time ago, and we were using devices very differently, and now they're just they're so pervasive in our lives. So are you concerned about safety at all? Absolutely. Listen, we're not a... Uh public health organization, but we have to rely on the most up-to-date public health information to inform our policies. And in the last year or so, we actually issued a new rulemaking to study those issues. I think that docket is still open, um, but your point is a good one. We need to make sure our policies are updated over time. These are the limits about how much radiation a device exactly. can emit. And right. They're exactly. based on like holding a phone up to your head right now, I think. Right. And when you think about the ways that all of us are using devices now, we need to make sure that our policies reflect that. It's not strictly holding a phone to your ear anymore. Do you think that that's something that realistically might be done, that the rules might change during your tenure at the FCC? I hope we can update them because I think it's important that our policies are up to date. Great, thank you. So, I mean, I guess, you know, to wrap it up, I'm curious, there's, you know, a little less than two years left in the current president's term. Commissioners don't often stay, right, beyond oh. that. Um, I'm curious, you know, what's next for you? You've worked on the Hill, you worked at the FCC, um, very poised, like running for office, is that in your mind? You have, I, I think Kara's term for it is very nice cheekbones. <laughs> what's next for you? I'm having a great time being a professional spectrum nerd. Um, so uh, it's been a total privilege to be able to do this in Washington, but it's also great to get outside of Washington and see how people are coming up with creative ways to use wireless. It's the most exciting sector of the economy, and so I love what I'm doing right now. Awesome. Tessica Rosenworcel, thank you very much. Thank you.